The following podcast contains descriptions of events that may be too disturbing for younger listeners. Discretion is advised. Hello, divers. Welcome to another installment of Mysteries of the Deep. I'm Tom Feeney, podcaster and purveyor of pop culture propaganda, searching beneath the surface of what seems to be the ordinary, the mundane, the pedestrian. This week, Mysteries of the Deep dives into a bizarre urban legend that takes its name from another less landlocked, legendary location. We ask the question, what is the Beverly Hills Bermuda Triangle. Before we load up the truck and move to Beverly, hills that is, let us briefly take a little side trip to the North Atlantic Ocean. There's a roughly 500,000 square mile area that has been the subject of many books, movies, and TV shows over the past half century. It's been called the Devil's Triangle, the Hoodoo Sea, Limbo of the Lost, or more regularly, the Bermuda Triangle. This perfidious polygon is marked by three points near the Caribbean Sea, Miami, Florida, Puerto Rico, and of course, Bermuda. Accounts of strange phenomena and disappearances plaguing both ships go all the way back to Christopher Columbus. During his inaugural journey across the Atlantic in 1492, Columbus and his crew reported strange sightings within the Bermuda Triangle. The first account claimed that the stars appeared to move around in the sky. Another was that Columbus saw a light, like that of a candle, moving up and down in the distance. And perhaps the most unusual account says that he saw a glowing object coming out of the water and shooting towards the sky. Now, there have been hundreds of recorded incidents of missing craft and unusual phenomena over the centuries. Most chalk it up to unstable weather patterns and or human error. However, there are more colorful explanations as well. Some people believe that some kind of ancient technology from the lost continent of Atlantis is responsible. Others attribute it to a possible dimensional portal to a parallel universe or something extraterrestrial in origin. Well, natural or supernatural, there's no denying that the Bermuda Triangle has become part of our shared lexicon. If someone said to you that my clothes closet is like the Bermuda Triangle, you would probably infer that they can't find anything to wear. It stands to reason that the term would be used as metaphor for unexplained events or phenomena. That brings us back to sunny California. Beverly Hills was little more than a lima bean ranch nestled between Los Angeles and West Hollywood. Nowadays, it has become a playground for the super rich, those who want to be seen with the super rich, and those who travel many, many miles to watch 
super rich. But there is, somewhat a test, a darker side of this gleaming monument to excess. No, not the real housewives, but something almost as frightening. Something that is referred to as the Beverly Hills Bermuda Triangle. More specifically, the intersection of Linden and Whittier, a literal hop, skip, and jump away from the famous Sunset Boulevard and Rodeo Drive. It is an intersection that appears to be, if you believe in that sort of thing, cursed. Numerous freak accidents, murders, and other incidents have plagued that area for over a half century, before the term Bermuda Triangle itself was a thing. It all began with one man, a man that others would say was also cursed. He was also one of the richest, most famous, and most eccentric men in the world. Business tycoon, aviator, filmmaker, and casino mogul, Howard Hughes. His company, Hughes Aircraft, was a major defense contractor for the United States government, including military aircraft and parts. During World War II, the Air Force was interested in developing more sophisticated reconnaissance aircraft in order to keep a closer eye on America's adversaries. Howard Hughes and his company designed and built the XF-11, which was a prototype Hughes hoped would get a nice, juicy government contract. It did. The Air Force ordered 100 of the experimental planes in 1943. They never got them. Delays and cost overruns pushed the development of the XF-11 well past the end of the war. It wasn't until 1946 that the initial prototype was ready to fly. So who would take it, the XF-11 up, up and away? Well, that honor was given by Howard Hughes to Howard Hughes. Not one to pass up an opportunity to show off, Hughes insisted on piloting the experimental aircraft himself. It was a decision he would come to regret. On July 7, 1946, Hughes planned to take the XF-11 up, perform a few maneuvers, and set back down again. A short 20-minute flight. It wasn't until Hughes was on his way back to the airfield that trouble began. An undetected oil leak knocked out the right propeller. Hughes tried to coax the plane back to the airport not wanting to bail out and perhaps endanger lives if the plane crashed in a residential area. He didn't make it. Howard Hughes, famous flyer and sportsman, was dragged out of this wreckage of an experimental plane he was testing. He was seriously injured. After ripping the corner from two homes in Beverly Hills, California, the plane finally plunged into this house. The force of the impact virtually wrecked the building and caused the plane to catch fire. The flyer said that the accident was due to motor failure shortly after his takeoff. He failed to make a crash landing on a golf course. Dennis O'Keefe, film actor, inspects damage done the home of Lieutenant Colonel Myers, chief interpreter at the Nuremberg War Trials. America's aviation trailblazers willingly pay the price in man's conquest of the air. 
That crash occurred near the intersection of, wait for it, Linden and Whittier. After being taken to the Beverly Hills Emergency Hospital, Hughes was given a 50-50 chance to live. He survived, but third-degree burns, a crushed chest with collapsed left lung, a crushed collarbone, and multiple cracked ribs took their toll. He was confined to a bed for months, and the constant pain and struggle caused him to become dependent on opiates. It's widely believed that Hughes' opiate addiction is what led to certain of his eccentricities. He became extremely germaphobic, collecting his own urine in jars, and eventually refused to even wear clothing, which some attribute to the extreme nerve pain Hughes suffered as a result of the plane crash. Hughes died in 1976 at the age of 70. At the time of his death, he weighed less than 90 pounds. Post-mortem x-rays revealed that there were broken hypodermic needles in his arms that had been filled with codeine. The next incident that took place in the Beverly Hills Bermuda Triangle doesn't say curse as much as crime does not pay. Nearly a year after Howard Hughes' tragic crash, another well-publicized death took place. This time, however, it was no accident. It was murder. More specifically, a gangland slaying. Benjamin Bugsy Siegel began his criminal career as a teenager in New York's Lower East Side, extorting protection money from street vendors. From there, he worked his way up the ladder of organized crime. From bootlegging to theft to gambling casinos, Siegel had his hands in just about everything, including murder for hire. Siegel was sent out west to develop new opportunities to expand the crime syndicate's empire. Ending up in Hollywood, he made fast friends with many movie stars who were just as awestruck by this notorious gangster as Siegel was with Hollywood glitz and glamour. But Bugsy Siegel's pet project lay in the middle of the Nevada desert, a multi-million dollar casino resort in Las Vegas, the first of its kind, the Flamingo Hotel. The project, however, went into vast cost overruns with the budget ballooning from $1.5 million to $6 million. Why did it cost so much more? Simply put, Siegel was skimming money from the project and depositing it into foreign bank accounts. Needless to say, this did not go over well with his bosses back east. So on the night of June 20th, 1947, Siegel was gunned down while reading the newspaper inside the mansion of his lover, actress Virginia Hill, at 810 North Linden Drive in Beverly Hills. Dateline Los Angeles. Reported gangman figure and man about town, Benjamin Bugsy Siegel was gunned down in a fusillade of bullets last night at the Beverly Hills home of Mrs. Virginia Hill. Police believe that rival gangsters followed Siegel home from a cocktail party and laid in wait outside a window. The assassin fired five shots, shattering the glass and ripping through Siegel's body, killing him instantly as he slumped over the newspaper he was reading. No motive or suspects have ever been identified. 
the so-called curse would remain dormant for another two decades. But it would return with a vengeance. was 1966. The music industry was in the middle of a revolution. A decade earlier, the likes of Elvis Presley and Little Richard introduced young Americans to rock and roll. A few years later, the British invasion brought the Beatles and the Rolling Stones to the States. In the mid-60s, surf music had its turn on AM radios across the USA. Artists like Dick Dale, The Ventures, and The Beach Boys blended rock music with a Southern California surf sensibility. Lots of reverb and vocal harmonies joined tales of sun, surf, and sweet rides. One of the most promising artists of the surf rock movement were Jan and Dean. More specifically, Jan Berry and Dean Torrance. They were two high school buddies who began singing and performing together after forming their own doo-wop group. After a few stops and starts, the pair hit their peak in 1964 with several hits including Surf City and The Little Old Lady of Pasadena. The one hit that would prove to be eerily prophetic, however, was their song, Dead Man's Curve. The song describes a drag race between two young men. The singer is driving a Corvette Stingray, his opponent in a Jaguar XKE. They race towards an area of Sunset Boulevard just west of Doheny Drive in West Hollywood. The song ends with a crash involving the two cars and the lyric, Won't Come Back from Dead Man's Curve. Two years after the song was released, Jan Berry was driving his Corvette Stingray at an estimated 90 miles per hour when he crashed into a parked truck near Sunset and Whittier in Beverly Hills. The 25-year-old Barry survived the crash barely. He was in a coma for six weeks. Barry suffered severe brain damage and partial paralysis, impairing both his speech and motor skills. He fought hard to recover returning to recording, and even performing. But his health issues never completely went away, plaguing him until his death on March 26, 2020, at the age of 62, following a seizure at his home in L.A.
final incident that people associate with the Beverly Hills Bermuda Triangle took place fairly recently. It centers around Hollywood publicist Ronnie Chasen. If you're not familiar with the term, a publicist is someone who creates and manages publicity for companies or individuals. Celebrities use publicists to shape and maintain their public images, social media accounts, and press coverage. Ronnie Chasen was one of the best and most trusted publicists in Hollywood, often working on Oscar campaigns for movies like Driving Miss Daisy and Alice in Wonderland. Early in the morning, on November 16, 2010, Chasen was on her way to her Beverly Hills home after attending a movie premiere. Witnesses near the intersection of Linden and Whittier reported hearing gunshots and seeing a black Mercedes-Benz that had gone off the road and struck a streetlight. After being alerted by 911 calls, police arrived at the scene to find Chasen at the wheel, bloody and barely breathing. The passenger side window was shattered. She was pronounced dead at Cedar sinai Medical Center later that morning. It was determined that she had been murdered, shot four times by what police initially described as an expert marksman. Eight months later, police confronted their only suspect, an ex-con named Harold Smith. Smith shot and killed himself before police could ask him any questions. According to police, the murder was a robbery attempt gone wrong. That explanation, though, has proven to be unsatisfactory to many who have followed this case. No evidence placed Smith at the scene. Police said that the gun Smith used to commit suicide was the same that killed Ronnie Chasen, but leaked ballistics documents don't confirm that conclusion. Police investigating the murder of Hollywood publicist Ronnie Chasen are looking for fresh clues this morning because a possible big break in the case apparently did not pan out. CBS News correspondent Ben Tracy has the latest on the case that has many baffled. The mystery surrounding publicist Ronnie Chasen is now deepening. Harold Smith, the man who committed suicide after police came to question him, may not have been involved in the crime. A local Los Angeles TV station quotes sources as saying ballistic reports on Smith's weapon came up negative. There is an even chance Harold Martin Smith has absolutely nothing to do with the Ronnie Chasen murder. The Beverly Hills Police Department is still calling him a person of interest, but Smith's claims to neighbors that he killed Chasen may have been a case of mouthing off or simply delusional. Beverly Hills police have been very tight-lipped. It's very hard to get information about the status of the investigation. There are reports Smith thought he was being arrested by police for unrelated burglaries. It would have been a third strike offense for the 43-year-old who reportedly bragged to neighbors that he would die before being taken alive. Neighbors confirmed Smith's suicide happened just moments after officers arrived. When he came in, it happened a minute after the boom. Right down below the steps, I seen uh, uh, like a big splatter, a big splatter of blood. In an interview with the New York Times, Ronnie Chasen's brother says Smith was deranged and the killing was more likely the result of a traffic dispute turned violent. We are told Ronnie Chasen had a temper and that the cops believe that road rage here is a possibility. Beverly Hills police now describe the investigation into Chasen's death as wide open. Ben Tracy, CBS News, Los Angeles.
there are no records of fingerprints taken at the crime scene. There was a report that security camera footage was collected from comedian Buddy Hackett's home, but no additional information was shared. Critics blame the inexperience of the Beverly Hills Police Department when it comes to investigating violent crime. The murder rate in the area is incredibly low, with only a handful of homicides reported in the last decade. The BHPD officially considers the matter closed, despite numerous requests to reopen the case. All of the incidents I have mentioned here occurred within a one-block radius of the intersection of Linden and Whittier. Is there a curse that bedevils this intersection? No. But these events all occurred in an area known for its wealthy residents that's close to Hollywood and in the heart of Los Angeles. It makes for a heady stew of media scrutiny with a touch of celebrity gossip and a pinch of sensationalism. You stir occasionally until you get the Beverly Hills Bermuda Triangle. first time you've heard this podcast, check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss a single one. And we want to hear from you. Drop us a line at the deep dive podcast at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter feeds. You can find links to those on our Linktree site, Deep Dive Podcast by Automaton. And don't forget to check out our official website, thedeepdivepodcast.com. All clips used in this podcast are meant for educational purposes only and not to infringe on existing copyrights. Mysteries of the Deep is a production of Automaton Studios.